Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Kazakhstan's finance ministry last week published a list of organizations and individuals whom the ministry said are receiving funding from foreign sources. The government previously prepared legislation on this, so it was not a surprise, but it was still alarming as the finance ministry's move echoed similar actions in Russia that eventually paved the way for Russian authorities to enact a foreign agents law that led to the closure of many civil society groups, rights organizations, and independent media outlets that were receiving foreign funding. Is Kazakhstan following Russia's example? To discuss all this, I'm I'm joined by Mira Rietman, Senior Central Asia Researcher for Human Rights Watch, Ivar Dale, Senior Policy Advisor at the Norwegian Helsinki Committee, and Yevgeny Zhovtis, Veteran Rights Activist and Director of the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law. Thank you all for joining me. Yevgeny, what's your reaction to the posting of this database? I think that we have to look at this situation from two perspectives, legal and political. Legally, you're absolutely right. This uh, list is the continuation of the legislation which was adopted in 2016. And it obliges everybody, commercial entities, uh, non-governmental organizations, civic organizations, and individuals to report to the tax committee of the Ministry of Finance about any foreign funding. If this funding is aimed to three goals, or to, uh, following three aims. Number one, is any kind of legal aid. Number two is any kind of polls of population, sociological polls and other polls. And finally, any kind of collection, this uh, analysis of the, and dissemination of any information. If any entity or individual get any funding from foreign sources for these aims uh, or for these goals, he or she or the entity have to report to the tax committee in 10 days after receiving such money, and once in quarter, and then last, uh, last time uh, these legislation provisions were changed, uh, once in a half a year, about any spending of this money. Thus, it was, uh, so inter- uh, this um, legislation was adopted in 2016. But for seven years, they were not referring to this in this way. And only several months ago, the Minister of, fin- uh, of uh, Finances issued the decree that this register or this list should be compiled and should be published, uh, publicized for uh, so-called transparency purposes. Uh, but it clearly has the, uh, it do not have any legal consequences up to last week, because uh, last week, or no, not even last week, this week, we find out that one of the banks decided to examine one of its clients because this client is in, the, is in this list. At this point, finally, I do not see any other serious legal threats in that regard. But politically, it's clearly the least to discredit uh, and to stigmatize uh, the, especially civil organizations or journalists who were also included in this list, to stigmatize them and to discredit them politically. This is, at this point, this is, from my point of view, the key goal of this list to be published. Okay, thank you. Um- Ivar, your organization is clearly a foreign-funded organization. Uh, what, the, the government is saying, as Yevgeny mentioned, that this is to build trust and confidence in the public in these organizations. How, everybody knows that you're foreign-funded. I mean, what does this mean to your organization? 
Well, I've uh, looked through the list that they published, and uh, you know, the, the first feeling after you know initial surprise is that uh, it, it's a kind of a compliment, of course, to be on a list together with an organization like the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law, because it's one of the most well-respected organizations, not just in Kazakhstan, but in 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 all of Central Asia and even the in the OEC region, working on human rights. So you know, it's it's a good list to be on. In that sense, but of course, after you've, you know, the the amusing side of it uh, aside, we we also see it like uh, Joftis says that it's it's this is clearly intended as a, a way to stigmatize uh, civil society organizations, to harass them. You know, we are our representative office in based in Almaty. Uh, is registered with uh, Kazakh authorities. That's why we end up on on this list. But I mean, ultimately, we're a kind of a, we're a foreign organization. We're based in Oslo, but I'm more concerned about what this could mean for uh, local organizations in Kazakhstan. This is a type of <clears throat> harassment that the Kazakh authorities should not be doing. I, I think it could lead to to security issues, perhaps for for some of the staff members. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 very strange that they choose to do this, especially when you think about how how much uh, Kazakhstan uh, worries about its external reputation. You know, this is to to be copying what is clearly a Russian practice, the foreign agents law in Russia. To be copying that sort of of uh, practice and bringing it into Kazakhstan, I think it's it's very unfortunate. Okay, thank you, uh, Bira. Uh, you know your organization is not on this list, but, but how do how do you view this move? I mean, especially in light of, of what we've seen in Russia. I mean, what does this what does this say to you? Well, it strikes me as a very deliberate move on the part of the Kazakh government um, to publish this registry, in the sense that it uh, has the same purpose of stigmatizing the groups that are on the list. Um, and we've heard that it's human rights organizations, it's independent journalists, uh, it's other um, service providers. I saw even a shelter that uh, provides uh, support to, to women on, on this list. Uh, it serves the same purpose as adopting an actual law without uh, incurring the fallout from adopting the law. Um, and it, it, the question now remains, what is going to happen? Okay, this is a first step. Uh, it is an identification of individuals and organizations that receive foreign funding, um, as we hear that it's, it's a stigmatizing list. But what comes next? And what I fear is that this is a step towards exerting further controls and further restrictions on um, an already highly restricted uh, space for human rights activism um, and really any kind of exercising of freedom of association by independent groups. The government perceives independent voices as a threat. Um, and this is just yet another way that they are seeking to control the space. And what will come next is, is really uh, quite concerning. And I think, I hope that everybody that is observing the human rights space in Kazakhstan will keep a very close eye um, on what we'll see coming out of the, the publication of this list. The list itself perhaps is, is not, uh, you know, doesn't have legal consequences, as Evgeny Alexandrovich was saying, uh, but it, it is a step towards uh, further action. Uh, and and uh, that's what we need to be all uh, carefully observing in the near future. Okay, thank you. Um, you know, Ivar, if you could tell us, I know that you you released a statement today in, in uh, conjunction with also, uh, or with, along with Yevgeny's organization and others, but you mentioned this organ, this this outlet, Echo. 
uh, and the problems. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened with them? I think it was Yevgeny uh, who mentioned Echo. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, still, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Okay, then I'll get to Yevgeny. You, uh, what I want to talk about, you mentioned, you had mentioned that there was an organization that had problems um, just this week already with the, uh, with the Noor Bank. One, I, I, I would like that explained a little bit more, but I'm curious, has anything like this ever happened before? I mean, you said the law, of course, it, it was passed in 2016. Um, was there ever any move similar to what just happened with Echo this week? Yes, uh, it already happens not in this way, but we all of us remember 2020 when the seven uh, prominent human rights organizations, including ECHO and our organizations, organization, we were, uh, let's say, so we get the warning and then they get the decisions of the local tax bodies, which were claiming that we have some kind of discrepancies in reporting about this funding of our uh, for, for this legal aid, foreign funding for uh, dissemination of information. And they tried even to suspend our activities for three months and uh, impose uh, heavy fines. Finally, and it was clearly the political move. It was not, of course, the legal move. It was political move. Uh, politics was behind that. And then they uh, decided to step back because of the uh, huge, let's say, criticism from the side of the EU, U.S., even from AITI, this Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative. And they tried to stay back, and even we won a number of cases in the courts, and, and the, this case in the uh, early 2001 ended successfully for us. But it was already such move. Uh, I want uh, to mention another important point, that uh, several uh, weeks ago, one of the politologists and let's say so, some kind of research is close to the government. He published, his name is Daniel Shimbaev, and he published the interview where he said that the government is planning, and it will be good from his point of view, planning to look after any influencers, any organizations or people who could influence internal politics being supported from outside of the country. That it was already, in that way, aired by one of the close to the government uh, politologists. What, what happens with the uh, ECHO? It was clearly because we have the document according which the uh, the bank referred to this list, to this registry, and they said that they want to examine where this uh, uh, group is spending money which they get from their bank because of this list and referring to the law on countering extremism and terrorism. That it clearly even if it is not legally, let's say, so have any legal consequences because it's only the least about those who reported to the tax bodies about uh, funding for this for uh, these goals. But it already have some kind of practical implications in relation to the this eco uh, group. We are uh, organization. This is organizations which is dealing with the election monitoring observation. These are they are preparing election observers and so on. We will see, we will try to challenge this, we will assist them with the, uh, some kind of legal, legally to, to, to respond to these actions of the bank, but it's clearly how this list was already uh, used, at least by the bank. And we, we think that it's not the bank on their, their own, it's somebody uh, who are behind them, it could be intelligence or any other state structures which are behind this move against their organization. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, Ivar, we'll get back to you, though, because I do want to hear more about your statement today. But also, how do you re- how do you personally read the, the situation with Echo? Is this a warning, a sign of what's coming? Yeah, it, of course, it, it definitely could be. <clears throat> Kazakhstan has, uh, you know, it has a long history of curbing freedom of uh, association and of assembly and association. This is like one of the, the main topics that Kazakhstan has been criticized for in in the UN and several other places. Um, so, of course, when we see a list like this, we, we read it immediately as, okay, this, this may be sign of something uh, that you know, something to come that they're gonna try to to uh, put pressure on civil society uh, echo of course yeah as uh, Evgeny mentioned it's uh, it's uh, elections observation uh, organization uh, which is also worrisome because if there's one thing that Kazakhstan needs right now is to to uh, be able to to carry out free and fair elections the OEC uh, observer missions, both at the parliamentary and the presidential elections previously, said that uh, the elections were marred by a lack of uh, choice uh, and that, you know, Kazakhstan still has a long way to go to become a, a democracy. So, um, but yeah, the the, um, the statement that is being released uh, later today, it comes from the International Federation for uh, Human Rights, FIDAJ, uh, where the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law is a member and the Norwegian Helsinki Committee is a member. So this is uh, an umbrella organization based in Paris, and they'll be releasing this in many languages uh, later today. And it says uh, basically the same things that we've just been through, that it's uh, that we consider this to be a, an attempt to, of, of stigmatizing and harassing civil society in Kazakhstan and urging Kazakh authorities to... Uh, to guarantee freedom of association in the country. And uh, we have also just uh, sent an email to the embassy of Kazakhstan in Oslo, here in Norway, to ask them to please uh, explain the, the reason why did they publish such a list and what's the meaning of all this. Uh, so we hope to get some kind of official statement back from them. But what we saw already in the official uh, comments to <clears throat> to this is that they... they it's intended to increase the citizens' uh, trust in the government. I think it was, and uh, it's it's uh, you know in the interest of, of transparency, which I think is is uh, a very strange way of, of um, explaining the, why they would publish such a list. Because if there's one thing that uh, you need, if you're talking about transparency, then you know uh, Kazakhstan is quite far down on Transparency International's list of, uh, you know, corruption perceptions index. And I think their efforts should be instead be um, thrown at trying to, to, to lower the level of corruption in society. That would be uh, increase, I think, the, the citizens' trust in the government. And, and, and even further, you know, you still have uh, members of the Kazakh elite who have enormous palaces in cities like Geneva and in London, uh, unexplained wealth. That's a matter of transparency. Or for that matter, to explain, you know, the events in January 2022, what were the reasons behind it, what really took place behind the scenes. If the government of Kazakhstan came out with uh, good explanations about that, that I think would increase the citizens' trust in the government, much more than them stigmatizing and harassing civil society organizations like uh, like Shoftis' organization or like ours. I'm curious that you mentioned... Uh 
you know, both the unexplained wealth abroad and the events of January 2022, these seem to be things that the Kazakh government doesn't want a lot of information spread about. Do you see a connection between that and what's happening with this list? Of course, yeah, because uh, civil society organizations are the ones who've been uh, urging them to to uh, release information about what really happened. And they're the ones who have been <clears throat> criticizing the authorities for cases of uh, ill treatment, torture in, in custody during the mass arrests. All of this is, uh, you know, there's a clearly there's a connection between human rights organizations, activities and uh, information that the authorities maybe don't want to uh, want to be, be pub- become public. Okay, thanks. Uh, Mira, I know that you're a Central Asian expert, not a Russian expert, but, you know, just before we get too further, too much further along in the conversation, what about this echoes things that, that with Russian foreign agent law for the benefit of our audience who might not have followed the Russian foreign agent law? Uh, what, what do you see happening in Kazakhstan that reminds you of what happened in Russia? Well, can I actually, before we move on to your question, just uh, sort of pick up on something that Ivar said about um, why this is happening? Because I, I, I think it is important to put this into the broader context of repressions and restrictions on civil society space. You know, the publication of this registry is not, it's not an isolated sort of event or it's not happening in a vacuum. You know, we, we heard from Evgeny Sandovich about the attempts to uh, suspend human rights organizations uh, several years ago. But really, if we go back, uh, we can look at laws that have been adopted to restrict the um, activities of trade unions. We have restrictive legislation uh, regarding uh, uh, religious groups. Um, we have a lot of restrictions on independent media. We know that uh, political opposition, genuine political opposition groups can't get registered. Um, and so I, I just want to highlight that this is a part and parcel of much broader restrictions. It's the latest development, but it's certainly not happening uh, on its own. And in that sense, perhaps there is a parallel with Russia. Uh, you know, I think it was 2012, and I'm not a Russia expert, so I'm not going to get into so many details that they're widely publicized. Um, but where there was an initial an, an initial adoption of a foreign agent's law, and then we have seen over the years how that law. Um, led to additional changes in the law and an additional restriction such that now you have basically the entire decimation of the space for um, for human rights organizations and pretty much anybody, I believe it, it's even anyone who is individuals who come under the influence um, of, of uh, others outside it also uh, of outside of Russia and it, it also has, it has ramifications for people who speak about Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, and so, you know, I, it, this is a, if we look at, if we take the Russian example, we can see the slippery slope where you start off with a law that is restrictive on its face, but how that law then opens the door to introducing additional restrictions. Um, and that's why it's so important that right now, when we are in Kazakhstan, and we have the publication of this registry that identifies many, many uh, individuals and organizations that work in the civic space, that work to improve Kazakhstan's human rights record, that work providing services and, and really cater to Kazakh people, that uh, Kazakhstan's partners uh, speak out about the problem, like how problematic it is that Kazakhstan has taken the step to, in you know, in the... Uh, although the claim is on transparent for transparency's sake, you know, publishing a list 
without any context, just indicating that these are individuals and groups that are receiving foreign funding, you know, it really harkens to painting them in a very negative, stigmatizing light. Um, and, and it needs to be addressed head on. We can't wait until Kazakhstan adopts a foreign agents law to address how this is problematic for freedom of association, how this is discriminatory, how this is stigmatizing. It, it should happen right now. And so I really, you know, I encourage uh, anyone who's, you know, who's listening to this, <laughs> this discussion to think about how concern can be raised with the Kazakh government right now um, and get the message across that falling further down the slippery slope is not in Kazakhstan's uh, interests. You know, it doesn't align with Kazakhstan's uh, reform pledges. It doesn't align with the UN Charter. It doesn't align with uh, with its aspirations to to be recognized um, uh, on the global stage. And so, I really I hope that this can be stopped before essentially the ball gets rolling too far along. Okay, uh, thank you. And a reminder: we're talking about Kazakh, the Kazakh Foreign Ministry's recent publication of a list of organizations and individuals receiving foreign funding, and what that means to such people and organizations working inside Kazakhstan. And my guests are Ivar Dale, senior policy advisor at the Norwegian Helsinki Committee; Evgeny Jovtis, veteran rights activist and director of the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law; and Mira Rietman, senior Central Asia researcher for Human Rights Watch. Yevgeny, let me ask you about the timing of this. You know, your organization, in fact, just marked its 30-year anniversary literally one month ago today. And so you've been working there for 30 years. Why all? Why now do they need to, to publish such a list and or even have such a list? I think that there is probably no such kind of political motivation for that. It's technical because uh, according to this uh, order of the or decree of the minister of finance they are planning to publish this uh, list uh, after the organization have reported and as the time for reporting is uh, half a year that the reports were submitted in july in august they were verifying and in september they published this list but what is uh, i want to echo what uh, already Ivar and uh, Mira said that uh, the publication of this list is, has, of course, this kind of psychological purpose because they are referring to the traditional Soviet sentiments the tradi- that the foreign funding is something wrong or foreign funding is something suspicious or foreign funding, it means some kind of in, uh, let's say interference in the internal affairs. That they are referring to this uh, general Official sometimes, probably it could, uh, it is not expressed so directly like in Russia, but officially, of course, they were, uh, let's say, stating that we are, uh, let's say, so trying to, uh, to, to, to prevent any kind of foreign influence in our, to our internal politics. And secondly, of course, the public. Because we already have seen that when this list was published in the, some social networks, some pro-governmental bloggers or, or, or some kind of people who are working for the national security agencies or probably some kind of these so-called boards and trolls, they start to attack the organizations which were included in this list. That now it's technically it's uh, right after the half a year and after the reports were, uh, were provided to the uh, tax bodies. And what is interesting, if you're looking at this list, there is a number of organizations and uh, groups which should not be listed. I will give you the example of Federation of Trade Unions, which is also included. 
And according to our constitution, they could not get any foreign funding at all because it's prohibited, like for the political parties. Or you could see the number of the representations of different foreign funds, like uh, Rosa Luxemburg Fund or uh, some others. And this is absolutely technically because according to the law, these representations, like the Norwegian Health Committee, they, uh, they are registered in Kazakhstan as a Kazakh- certain Kazakhstan entity. And uh, uh, and technically, they are receiving the money from their uh, main offices, and, and this money is considered as foreign funding of their own representations. And that uh, you could see their Deloitte, or you could see their even the Gazprom. That's uh, technically they put everything together, and uh, and some organizations have not been included, whom I know who are getting the foreign funding for this goals which are uh, stipulated in the tax code, this Article Twenty Nine of the tax code. That I, I could not say that there is. We, we could think about when now. Now it's technically after the one uh, year, uh, half a year reporting. But the uh, the idea behind typically political to stigmatize, to discredit, and to use this at certain point, but it will be needed for political purposes. Um, Ibar, I know it's early. They just published a list last week. But what 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 kind of obstacles do you see uh, arising to your organization's work in Kazakhstan from this publication of this list? We've gone through some of it, but I'm just curious where you think the, this uh, this is headed for your organization. Well, hopefully, it's not headed anywhere uh, anywhere bad. I think uh, you know, as uh, Joptis mentions, it's it's a bit funny how how that we are included. It's 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 obviously the Norwegian Helsinki Committee has funding from Norway, so that wasn't a great surprise to anyone. And it's uh, kind of a you know, it appeals to this as he called it Soviet uh, sentiments that you just make a list of of people who are receiving foreign funding, and that's all, that in that in itself is something suspicious. I'm more worried about uh, the local organizations because uh, as a Norwegian organization, we have, uh, you know, we have uh, support from the Norwegian MFA. We, I think that would take a lot more for the Kazakh authorities to, to try to, uh, to, to harass our office uh, than it would take them to harass uh, local organizations. So I'm, I'll be watching more closely the way that local organizations are treated properly local organizations but i'm also I, i'm thinking about how how this uh, you know, why bring in these kinds of uh, soviet types of of methods <laughs> right now it, it it's not a good look for kazakhstan you know they kazakhstan used to always say, say when they were confronted with uh, poor democracy record that well look we're we're a young country we still have a long way to go but kazakhstan is not a young country anymore it's you know over 30 30 years old, and it uh, has a, a certain standing internationally. And so I think it just looks very strange. Why is Kazakhstan doing these kinds of things, this, this kind of uh, just, yeah, literally st- stigmatizing and harassment of civil society? It's, it's a bad look for Kazakhstan, and they should stop it. Okay, thank you. Mira, uh, you know, President Takayev was in the United States last week and met with the American president. He's in Germany today. Uh, meeting with the top German officials, uh, you know, and the, and the message is, is more cooperation, you know, but but if you're an NGO or thinking of helping out some of the groups uh, in civil society in Kazakhstan right now, and you're in the United States or you're in Germany, uh, did Kazakhstan just draw a line about what kind of cooperation they're really looking for is, you know, don't don't help out our our people working for better rights and, and, in, and uh, 
greater transparency, you know, from media outlets and just stick with trade? I'd like to think not. I mean, the the result of Russia's long uh, experience of the foreign agents law there does sort of um, inform uh, people working in, in this space about the consequences. And so I'd like to think that anybody who's looking at Kazakhstan, um, supporting uh, Kazakhstan and its democratic development or, or human rights um, record uh, will understand sort of the context uh, in which this uh, registry was published. Um, because, uh, you know, Kazakhstan's human rights record is extremely poor and, and uh, civil society in Kazakhstan is uh, embattled. And I think, you know, I, 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 we're, you know, we're not a local organization in Kazakhstan, but I am unsettled at the publication of this list. I can imagine all the more so um, for local uh, groups uh, and individuals whose names uh, and uh, were put on this list, um, how feel, how unsettled they are feeling at the moment. And so if anything, this should embolden um, those who are looking at Kazakhstan to, to support Kazakhstan, um, to continue to support and continue to uh, find ways to raise concerns about what's going on and also uh, increase their support, if anything, uh, to groups that are that are on the ground. Um, so that's what I hope will be the takeaway um, that that uh, anybody observing Kazakhstan will see through the intention of this list uh, of the publication of this list, which is to you know, stigmatize and discredit to the contrary, to see the really good work that's happening on the ground in Kazakhstan by a whole range of actors um, who stand to be affected uh, if this list is indeed the beginning of something more uh, negative to come. Okay, thank you. Um, you know, we're getting toward the toward the end here because, and it is Friday. I promised I would let everybody go pretty soon. But so, lot, time for last comments. Anything I missed that you want to say? Uh, but Ivar, I, w- I was kind of wondering, um, you know, your thoughts on 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 what's next. Are, are you surprised at this list being published? And what are your feelings about what that means for not just your organization, but all the organizations in Kazakhstan that receive foreign funding? I was surprised initially, yes, because it seems like uh, it's just a a strange time for Kazakhstan to be doing something like this. If if anything, you know, you're looking at at Russia and uh, the war in Ukraine and um, these kinds of methods that the Putin regime uses against civil society have been so discredited and uh, that type of society like that that uh, that the Putin regime represents it that's a sinking ship that Kazakhstan does not want to be aboard so I don't understand why would anyone in their right mind copy uh, these kinds of practices or legislation from Russia at a time like this but of course then you think about it again and you think, well, I mean, Kazakhstan does have a long history of, of uh, trying to suppress uh, opposition parties, uh, civil society. Uh, it's so, so, I mean, it's not, it's not a surprise at the same time. So, um, but but uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, this is uh, a type of mistake. First, I thought this, it must be a mistake. Maybe somebody published it by, they didn't intend to, they pressed the wrong button. But now I see, uh, you know, after a few days have passed, I, we started seeing that, okay, this really is on purpose because they're making comments saying strange things that, that it should be to, to increase the citizens' trust in the government and so on. So I would just appeal to Kazakh authorities to, to stop this, uh, this type of, of uh, harassment of civil society and, uh, 
and uh, move in a much more in a po- more positive direction. Okay, thank you, Mira. Were you surprised? Uh, what should we understand from this move? Uh, no, I, I wasn't surprised. In fact, I thought it was very um, consistent with how uh, Kazakhstan does things very purposefully, uh, but without trying with while avoiding trying to fall uh, the fallout that accompanies very negative developments. So I, I go back to what I started off saying, which is that this was a very, you know, this is not the adoption of a foreign agent's law, that Kazakhstan observes what's going on around it. It, can, it has, you know, it, it saw what was happening in Georgia earlier this year. It saw when they, when there was a proposal there to adopt a foreign agents law, I'm sure that it is keeping a close eye on um, the progression uh, and response to the proposal to adopt a foreign agents law in Kyrgyzstan. And so this, this is a very sneaky way of having a similar outcome, which is to identify groups that are involved in uh, independent and critical uh, activities that are independent and critical of, of the government, identify them uh, as recipients of foreign funding. Uh, and, and this harkens back to what both Ivar and, and Yevgeny Sandrich were talking about in terms of the Soviet association of, of you know, being a traitor or a spy. And so, you know, we have an outcome and, and I, uh, that stigmatizes these groups without the scandal of the adoption of a piece of legislation. And so I just, you know, I will go back to the earlier point that I made that uh, it can't be too soon that Kazakhstan's partners raise concern about the publication of this registry, um, that there is a very clear message that is relayed to the government of Kazakhstan at the very senior top levels of government that this is not consistent with Kazakhstan's reform agenda. It is not consistent with its, um, you know, with its its aim to be a, a participant on the global stage, that the time to cut this down, cut it short is now um, to withdraw, you know, the publication of the list would be the best, um, but certainly to, to stop any further uh, negative consequences um, that could arise when others get the idea to build upon the publication of a registry like this. Um, so I hope that, that Kazakhstan partners, um, you know, you mentioned that there's been quite a high uh, number of high level uh, uh, visits that have happened uh, in even the last uh, week and a half. Um, but that, that sort of top level engagement is, you know, it's likely to continue. There is increased interest in Central Asia, increased, increased interest in Kazakhstan. And so there are opportunities to relay very important human rights messages uh, alongside those talks about trade and economy and security. Um, and I hope that, that those opportunities will be seized upon um, and, and that Kazakhstan will get the message before we see a further deterioration in the space for human rights activism in the civic space. I think uh, Mira used a good word, sneaky. Uh, and it reminded me of a report that we did some 10 years ago call, about Kazakhstan called Cunning Democracy. And, uh, you know, uh, she said, um, uses the expression that to avoid the fallout of uh, oppressive practices, which is exactly what Kazakhstan is, has always done, is that it's, it, it tries to, it, it, it has, it tries to avoid getting criticized for, uh, for oppressive practices by, by using bureaucracy. So it will set up various laws and regulations that that make it seem as if they're not really violating international human rights standards when when they are 
Okay, thank you both. Uh, Yevgeny, last word goes to you. One, are you surprised? And two, what should we what should we be watching for next? I mean, what are you concerned is the next move? Uh, I think that we are watching the, some kind of developments from two perspectives. Number one, uh, 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 let's say so, uh, from outside. Uh, because uh, I'm, I, I could also echo what uh, Mira said and what Ivar said, that we are witnessing that the nature of the regime, the nature of the people who are in power, is the same in Russia here. The, the people are uh, uh, coming from the Soviet past with the, some kind of conspirological theories, uh, a lot of xenophobia, and so on and so on. Even if they are trying to maintain good relations with the West, they were they are very suspicious because they were not elected. They were self-appointed. They are staying in power for 30 years. And that they are looking from uh, at the outside world as they, to a certain extent, with this with some kind of suspicion, and they uh, and they are occupied with the Russian type of mentality. They are relying on the same post-Soviet institutions like judiciary or law enforcement or prosecutors' offices or intelligence, which were not re- in reality reformed, and which are looking at the outer world from through the Russian lenses, through the Russian type of lenses or Soviet type of lenses. That on one hand, they, they are looking at, the, at all these things with the suspicion, and this is their way of reaction. Number two, inside the country, look that uh, last two or three years, they are cracking down on opposition, they are cracking down on the independent voices, they are cracking down on uh, civic activists, which have any mobilizing potential, and they are looking at the NGOs, especially the NGOs and which are critical and which are independent, also with the suspicion that that it's in line of the general internal and external political context where the, this government is reacting on that and other uh, problems and try to consolidate the power. That, uh, I think that a lot of things will de- depend on the outcome of the Russian-Ukrainian war, what happens in Kremlin, what will be the, let's say, relations between the West and the China. There is a lot of things for this region. I agree with uh, Mira that there is more and more interest in the region and in Kazakhstan in particular. But I am not so optimistic. I think that, yes, the international community, the U.S., the EU, have certain kind of capacity. And uh, Mr. Takayev now uh, have been in the U.S., now he is in, in Germany, to, to try to, let's say, to call it, to urge them to refrain from such kind of actions. But I'm not so optimistic because unless this regime political will be not changed and transformed and the institutions were not transformed, we could still expect this type of reaction, this type of attitude. It's again, it's a Soviet type of uh, understanding of the outer world and their internal political, let's say so, ideas behind all these moves. But anyway, we, could, we, 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 we survived through these 30 years. We have to still to, to fight and to ask the international community to support us. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, let's all hope that this doesn't go any further than it already has. But but if it does, uh, I'll be happy to have you all back on the show again. Uh, but thanks for being here. So um, thank you, Devgeny and Mira and, and Ibar for being on the program. And a big thank you, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjolis podcast producer in Washington, D.C., and a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjolis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfrl.org. That's all. Thank you. And we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.